John Cavanaugh was a uh, Jesuit priest and renowned philosophy professor at St. Louis University. When he was in his early 30s, he found himself in the midst of a profound spiritual crisis. And so at some point during this dark season, he thought to himself, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to India and talk to Mother Teresa because she can figure out what I need to do. And so he jumped on a plane and went to India, which got to hand it to him. That is a bold move. And during his time there, it finally came time for his big conversation with Mother Teresa. And so she said to him, John, what can I do for you? And he said, I'd like you to pray for me. And she said, well, what can I pray for you? And he said, well, pray that I have clarity. And she looked at him and said, no, I'm not going to pray that for you. Could you imagine? You've flown halfway around the world. You're now in front of the one person who you think is going to share this wisdom and advice whose perspective you want. And he's standing there in front of this frail little nun. And she says, nope. Not going to pray that for you. So John asked her the only other question he had come up with at the time and said, why not? And she said, because clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. Clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. There is something so comfortable and comforting about having answers, certainty, clarity. And the thing is, we all need clarity in certain parts of our lives, whether that is uh, clarity about relationships or education or work. But there are also places where clarity and answers are not going to happen the way that we expect them to, the way that we imagine that they can. Maybe it's a crisis of faith that you are walking through. Maybe it's a question that you're struggling with about God, even. Maybe you can't quite figure out, is God actually good? Can he be trusted? Maybe it's a belief that you have held on to for a long time, and now as you're holding it, you're thinking, I'm not so sure about this anymore. It may be a place where we need to begin letting go of that expectation for clarity and certainty. And I will say this, it's generally not something that I want to give up. Because I like things planned out. To release what is in our hands means stepping into something unknown, uncertain. And it means it's probably going to stretch me. And it means it's going to probably be a little bit painful along the way. We want to live with certainty. And yet life doesn't work that way. And I'm pretty sure that your experiences and my experiences bear that out. So what happens when we find ourselves living in places of doubt and questions and uncertainty? How are we supposed to respond in those times, in those moments and seasons? That's what we're going to explore today as we begin our brand new series called Frail Faith. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be unpacking different stories from the Bible that talk about some of the struggles and realities that we can experience in our faith, like doubt suffering, fear. Walking through these types of things can actually make our faith feel so frail. And yet there is also something beautiful that we can experience because God can actually meet us in those moments.
We're going to jump into our text for today, found in the book of John chapter 20. And the story begins on the very first Easter Sunday. Jesus has risen from the dead, and later on in, later on in that day, he appears to a group of his followers. And they're locked away in a house because they are fearing for their own lives in the aftermath of Jesus' crucifixion. But Jesus shows up, he shows them his scarred hands and his side, and they realize he's actually alive. And then later that night, in a conversation with another disciple, Thomas, who was not there that evening, they tell him about what happened. And that's where we're going to pick up the story as told through the message. Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we saw the master. But he said, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were again in the room. And this time, Thomas was with them. Jesus came through the locked doors, stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand, stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving, believe. Thomas said, my master, my God. And Jesus said, you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Well, there's a lot that's going on here in the story, but I simply want to point out a few thoughts that jump out for me here regarding the experience of doubt. And the first is that this moment takes place after Jesus' resurrection. I think that's an important detail. Because you would think that with Jesus surprising and unexpected rising from the dead, that the disciples' faith would be at its absolute highest peak. And that doubt would be at its very lowest. And yet, that's not the case. In fact, in Matthew's account, it says that when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him but some doubted. It's easy to skip past those words, but let them sink in for a moment. They have seen Jesus alive, and yet there is both faith and doubt that is expressed. Why? Because dead people usually don't come back from the dead. And of course, there's Thomas's own response, I won't believe until I have clarity and answers, and evidence. I think there's a reason for this both and experience of faith and doubt, both taking place at the same time. You ready for this? It's how life works. I don't think it's either or, where you either have faith or you don't. These early followers of Jesus are feeling disoriented, Yes, they've experienced this unexpected resurrection from Jesus. And it's given them this new hope. And yet they're also trying to make sense of everything. They're just trying to figure out what's going on, what it now means for their lives, what it means for where they are going to end up. What's going to happen next? I don't know about you, but I can find myself in this story. I'm in a season of life where things are rapidly changing around me. I know a couple months ago when I shared here, uh, shared a little bit of some things that our family is walking through, but about a year and a bit ago, never imagined where we would be today. A year and a half ago, life seemed like it was on this straight course, 
quite predictable. We felt, you know, that we knew where things were going. And then all of a sudden, wham, situations and circumstances started coming at us as a family, making us disoriented along the way. I've mentioned them before, but my dad's passing in the fall, walking through significant mental health challenges and other things that have been thrown at us. And over this past year, I found myself doubting at times. There have been so many days along the way where I felt disoriented, shaken, questioning, not sure what to do, and being completely honest, not even sure how much I can believe and hold on to. Sometimes questioning God's plan, his presence, his purpose in all of this. Mostly it's asking the question, why? Why God? Why this? For what purpose? Why this particular experience in reality? And it's very real. And I know in this place here today that I'm not alone in that experience. Throughout Christian history, Thomas has been labeled as the doubter. Doubting Thomas. Honestly, it's kind of annoying. Because the reality is all of the disciples were doubting at different points. All of them experienced doubt and uncertainty. And so if you're going to call him doubting Thomas, then you might as well call me doubting Anthony. And you may as well insert your own name into it as well. Because we all have experiences and moments and seasons where we doubt, where we have unclarity, where we have questions. Doubt is very real. And there is a wide spectrum of thoughts and emotions that can happen as we experience the process. I got a kick out of how biblical scholar Pete Enns writes about one of his own experiences. I think he captures the progression so well. He said, I've often gone from... I know what I believe, to I think I know. And then he said, it's like a bicycle that's going downhill. It starts picking up speed. He said, then I think I thought I knew. I'm not so sure anymore. I don't really know anymore. Honestly, I have no idea. Leave me alone. Here's how I express it. There are days I believe. There are days I want to believe. There are days that I believe but there are also a lot of days that I simply want to believe. It took me a long time to get to that place of admission and honesty. I've always been a big faith guy. Raw, raw faith. Happy, clappy faith, if you know what I mean by that. Everything's going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. It's all good. If I have enough faith, if I keep on believing, if I keep on doing what I need to do, it's all good. I remember preaching a sermon years ago on levels of faith, how to have more faith, how to increase your faith, how to have abundant faith and great faith. It was, it was an awesome message. It got people all fired up and excited, ready to go change the world. And of course, there's nothing wrong with having faith. We are called to have faith. Our whole journey of life is about faith and growing in faith and developing and going deeper into faith. But what I didn't have was room for what happens when things don't work out, when things go sideways, when things start to spiral around me, when doubts and questions and tensions start filling the space of my reality. 
I didn't realize that you can't actually grow without wrestling or struggling through something. The writer Frederick Beekner puts it this way. Whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God, if you don't have any doubts, you are either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Isn't that such a great line? Doubt forces us to let go of that need for certainty and clarity and answers, just like Mother Teresa said to John. But far too often, we don't know what to do with our doubts. And so we end up doing what the early disciples did when they were faced with their own doubts and fears. They kept it hidden and secret. For the disciples and for Thomas, it meant that they were literally behind locked doors. I think that's worth paying attention because for most of us, when we experience doubt, we experience doubt in secret. We don't want it to be on display or out in the open. And there's a number of reasons for that. I've listed some of them here as well. Sometimes it's because of shame, where we think, well, I should have this all figured out by now. I've been a Christian for a while, or, you know, why is it that I still have a question, or why am I now getting that question? Why am I having a hard time believing this particular thing? Sometimes it's because of fear. Well, what if I ask this question, and that question leads to this question, which leads to this question, which leads to that question? Or what if what I'm holding on to actually starts to crumble around me? What if I'm supposed to let go of clarity? That's some pretty scary stuff. Sometimes it's because of image. What will other people think of me if I express that I've got some doubts that I'm kind of struggling right now? Believe me, that one's really real. Especially when you're a pastor standing up and saying, man, I'm struggling with doubts. How can you be a good pastor? We all have doubts. We all go through seasons of questions. Sometimes it's because of comparison. Well, how come that person doesn't ever seem to struggle with doubt? How come it seems like their life is all together? How come their faith seems so strong and certain? Is there something wrong with me? And sometimes it's because, quite honestly, we're uncomfortable with uncertainty. Shouldn't there be a clear answer? Shouldn't it be black and white? Shouldn't it be yes or no? And so what do we do and tend to do when doubt creeps up? We try to bury it. We try to lock it up. We try and keep these systems and structures and things around us and hope and pray that somehow it will just go away or at the very least, keep quiet. But I love what happens next in the story. Jesus shows up. He meets Thomas and the others in the place and the moment they're in, which means he can meet you in the place and the moment that you find yourself in right here, right now, in those dark places in those secret places, in those locked away places. Locks, walls, structures, those things that surround us and try and keep us in and close in around us cannot keep Jesus out. Jesus 
is present in the moment we find ourselves in doubts and all. He takes us as we are. No judgment, no criticism. He simply speaks peace over Thomas. Peace over his doubts and worries and fears, which is so profound and beautiful. And then Jesus invites Thomas to take one step. Reach out. Touch my scars. Remember my story. Remember that I am here with you right here, right now. I love that Thomas is honest in his doubts. If he wasn't, then he might never have encountered Jesus in such a tangible way. Think about it. Maybe being honest with our doubts, as scary as that can be, actually pushes us deeper into faith. Where we get beyond just that surfacey part of life and discover that there is actually something much deeper, something much richer in that experience. And in that moment, something begins to change. When we're in places of doubt, honestly, sometimes the best step we can take is to simply take the next step. Not trying to jump to a final destination, but simply taking one step and then another step and then another step and then another step. Anne Lamott, who's a beloved author and speaker, writes about her experience of walking through doubt. And she says this, my coming to faith did not start with a leap, but rather a series of staggers from what seemed like one safe place to another. Like lily pads, round and green, those places summoned and then held me up while I grew. Each prepared me for the next leaf on which I would land. And in this way, I moved across the swamp of doubt and fear. I have a lot of faith. But I'm also afraid a lot and have no real certainty about anything. But I remembered something that I had once been told. That the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. For Thomas, it was literally to take a next step and to touch Jesus' scars. For John Kavanaugh, it was to release what he had been clinging to and to open up his hands to Jesus. For us, it may be to open up to the realization that doubt can actually bring us to a new experience that will grow us in our faith. Sharon Smith is a local pastor on the North Shore. She used to be a part of our 10th community and is also the founder of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And I love what she says about faith. She said, faith is not about being right, but rather faith is opening up to possibilities even when nothing makes sense. We can't know light without darkness. We can't have faith without answers or without questions. As followers of the risen Christ, we will go through times where our knowledge or life experiences necessarily cast a shadow over our faith. During these times where we question the things we once knew, we enter a place of disorientation 
a necessary time of letting go. This is a dynamic of life, a movement from disorientation to reorientation. Even though we feel deep reluctance and loss, it is the only way to open up and embrace a new gift, a new way, a deeper faith. I want to spend our remaining time just sharing a few lessons that I'm learning in my own journey as I navigate faith and doubt and questions. I'm just trying to find my own way. And these are certainly not answers nor a black and white process. But I do believe that they will help each of us as we navigate these different times and seasons of doubt in our lives. And the first is that it's okay to admit and confess that we are struggling through and wrestling through doubt. We don't need to keep it hidden or secret. Jesus wants to meet us in the place that we are in, bringing his peace to our lives and inviting us to himself. And so we can be honest in the awkwardness and tension that is found in having faith and having doubts, especially when they happen at the same time. A prayer I find myself confessing and saying a lot is taken from the gospel stories where this guy comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I think it's one of the most honest, greatest prayers in the Bible, shaped by this beautiful vulnerability. Jesus, I believe, but I also know that there are areas in my life that feel out of control, that feel as moments and places where doubt seems to have the upper hand. There are days I believe, and there are also days that I want to believe. If you're not sure where to start, start there. For some of us, it may actually be the most important step you could take. I'm also learning the value that we don't walk this journey alone. At least we shouldn't. And know that there are many people, even those sitting around you here tonight, who are going through similar journeys. Yes, the questions and doubts may look a little bit different, but know that you are not alone in this experience. One practical good step to get involved is, is to get involved in a small group or perhaps a soul trio. They are safe places where you can come, where you can connect with other people, share stories, pray for each other, have another person or two or three to come alongside. Coming out of this last year, I'm not sure how I would have survived without my group knowing that I could reach out to them at any time, knowing that they would listen, knowing that they would surround me in prayer, knowing that they would cry alongside of me, knowing that they would simply be present. It's a step that had a huge impact. It's been a place where faith and hope can keep getting sparked. And on the days I find myself where I want to believe, I have friends who I know will believe and stand alongside of me. I'm also learning to remind myself of God's goodness and his presence, even in the midst of doubt, even in the midst of uncertainty and questions, even in the midst of struggles, even when it doesn't make sense, to keep reminding myself of the goodness of Jesus' story 
and the reality of his life being present with me. I think that's why Jesus invites Thomas to reach out and to touch his scars. To say, remember my story and be reminded that I am with you even in the midst of that dark time. One of my favorite authors, the late Rachel Held Evans, puts it so beautifully. She said, faith is always a risk, no matter what we believe. There's always the chance we might be wrong. But the story of Jesus is just the story I'm willing to risk being wrong about. It's so compelling, and Jesus' voice is so compelling to me, I will follow even at the risk of being wrong. Finally, I'm learning that it's not about overcoming doubt. It's about walking in and through it. Here's what I mean. I began this message with John Kavanaugh's story. Let me tell you the rest of his conversation with Mother Teresa. When we left off, Mother Teresa had just told him, clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to and must let go of. John said to her, that's not the answer I was expecting because you seem to have tons of clarity. And it was at this point that Mother Teresa laughed. And then she said this, I haven't had clarity a day in my life, but what I've had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. I haven't had clarity a day in my life, but what I've had is trust. And that is my prayer for you today, that you will continue to trust. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. In this moment, I want to have us just to be able to respond. I know Jesus is speaking to us here tonight. As we acknowledge our doubts, as we realize that we are not alone in having them, as we remind ourselves of God's goodness and presence with us despite our situations and circumstances and doubts and questions, as we keep walking in and through it, not as we expect it to be, but as it is, I believe it will continue to build trust and faith deep inside of us, changing us from the inside out. Here's what I want us to do. Would you just simply close your eyes in this moment? And to take a few moments now. And I want you to, just in a conversation with you and Jesus, in this moment, to name a doubt or a question that you're holding on to. We all have them. But there is something that happens when we can actually name it, where we don't try and keep it in secret or locked away. And just that moment, I want you just to, in your mind, in your soul, to name that doubt, to name that question, to name that struggle. And I want you to pause for a moment to think about God's goodness. 
Maybe it's a past event or a moment that you experienced. Maybe it was a time where you felt and sensed God's presence or touch in your life. I want you to hold that for just a moment. And if it's been a while since you felt that touch from God, or you can't think of anything specific, I want you to focus on your breath right now because that is a good gift from God. And as you breathe and lean into that moment of God's goodness, remind yourself of Jesus' story, that he came and showed us a God who kneels in the dust and dirt and doubts and tears of our lives. That he carries his own scars and invites us to touch them and to remember. And he wants to speak peace into you here today. And so Holy Spirit, come in this moment. As we begin naming those doubts, as we begin naming those questions, you invite us to pause to take a step, to remember your goodness, to remember the scars that you carry on behalf of us, to remember that you are with us in this moment, even if we don't feel like it, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's falling apart. But I pray, Jesus, that as we lean into your goodness, it is a story worth not only remembering, but living into. And you want to come in this moment and speak peace, speak life into our stories here today. Receive. Receive that here today.